Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. everybody to another episode of Halitech Hall. Good evening, Mr. Halitech. How are you, sir? I am uh, I'm st- I'm still alive uh, in this uh, this unprecedented crisis time that the the nation is facing. Um, but uh, we're we're hanging in there. Uh, how are you and the family? Doing well, you know, no complaints. Um, we are much better off than many, so uh, every everybody's healthy. Uh, we're hanging in there, and so you know, um, I, I think uh, we're just feeling blessed right now with everything that's going on in the world. So, uh, just trying to do our best to uh, stay sane and kind of enjoy it as a strange staycation, uh, if it's that, if that's at all possible. It's an extended staycation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is uh, going to be an interesting show. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about some of the worst trades in Bears history because uh, a lot of people have been panning this uh, Nick Foles trade for reasons that are beyond me. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk draft. And we're going to talk uh, in our history s- segment in the second half of the show. Uh, we are going over the, over the past several episodes. We've been going over Bears players whose numbers have been retired, and we're up to a magical number in Bears history, number 40, uh, none other than Gail Eugene Sayers, which we'll talk about uh, after uh, this segment. And we are proud to welcome once again from BearReport.com our friend of the Halitech Hall Show, uh, an excellent reporter, Zach Pearson. Zach, good evening. How's it going, guys? Uh, hope you're all staying safe and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome, Zach. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Haltech just said uh, you can find uh, Zach's work on BearReport.com. Uh, he is a member of the Pro Football Writers of America Association, uh, and you can find him on Twitter at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson, P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Uh, great uh, reporter for the Bears and uh, great follow on Twitter as well. Uh, also covering uh, some other Chicago sports uh, as well. Uh, so good evening, Zach. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure, Zach. Uh, let's get right into it. We're, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our most recent trade. Of course, was our giving up our our supplemental pick in the fourth round this year. Uh, to giving him to Jacksonville for the one and only Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles. Zach, what say you about the trade? 
Well, um, admittedly, at first, I didn't really like it. I don't think Foles is a huge upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. I think he can be an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. Um, However, you know, I was a little concerned with the fourth-round pick as a compensation. I thought going into this offseason, if the Bears were going to trade for Nick Foles as one of their targets, they should probably get a pick back due to the salary. Um, I've warmed up to it, actually. Um, I I will admit I was a little frustrated uh, on my podcast, even, you know, saying it was a really bad trade. Now that the contract numbers are out, I kind of understand it a little more, and I think it makes more sense because essentially they're paying Nick Foles backup money. The cap hit is going to be around five to six million, with six million in its in incentives, which is kind of just like, uh, you know, he's going to get paid to play type contract. If he doesn't pay, you're only taking that small cap hit as a backup. And remember, they paid Chase Daniel about ten million dollars as a backup, which was way too much money. So. As it stands now, I, I'm okay with the trade for now. Um, I don't think it makes the Bears a Super Bowl contender. Um, I think it may, gives them a, a chance to get back to the playoffs. And overall, I think maybe their quarterback room gets a little better. But we're going to have a competition on our hands whenever this offseason kind of uh, goes on, whenever that is. So we'll see. But as of now, I, I've warmed up the trade just a little more. It's important to note that, you know, there's still another guy in that room by the name of Mitch. And, uh, you know, I look at it this way, Zach. The Bears are in a no-lose situation. Uh, if if Foles comes in and, tr- and helps uh, Mitch be the quarterback, we know he can be by virtue of some of the games he's played. Uh, Tampa, the Jets, the games against Detroit, Minnesota. He's, he hasn't lost to uh, the Green Bay game, uh, the first half of the Green Bay game in, in 18, the, uh, the the division clinching game in December of 18. Uh, he, you know, he, he played, you know, he played extremely well. Uh, you know, he played extremely well in the playoff game against Philadelphia the, in the last probably last 20 minutes of the game and almost put him on his back to, to win that game. A lot of people forget that there was a, a pass where he got rushed right up the middle. He lofted the ball to, I believe it was Anthony Miller, and he just barely missed him by about three feet as he was getting buried. And that led to the uh, the uh, demise of Cody Parkey and the double doink that was, uh, he's now infamous for, but uh, they were that close to winning that game. So if Foles comes in and plays well and earns half of his incentives, the, the Bears are in the playoffs. If he doesn't play at all, I think the Bears are in the playoffs. What say you? Yeah, I think so. You know, the I've always wondered what the narrative is on Mitchell Trubisky if Cody Parkey makes that kick because – I think they go up, you know, they're going to go up, they go up against the LA Rams team that they beat pretty good at Soldier Field. I don't know if they're guaranteed to win that game, but say they are, they go NFC Championship game. I think there's a little more confidence. Um, as far as Nick Foles in this competition, I think it could go a couple different ways here. I think Foles can, you know, win out. Um, and like you said, if he plays up to those incentives and, you know, makes the playoffs with the Bears, I mean, they're going to be in good shape there. The other thing to think of is, 
Maybe this lights a fire under Mitchell Trubisky. Maybe this competition really lights something under him, and he knows, okay, well, they're probably not going to pick up my fifth-year option. Uh, if I want to stay here for the long term, I'm going to pretty much have to earn it this season and play a lot better because if they get the Mitchell Trubisky, if he somehow beats out Nick Foles and they get the Trubisky of last season, uh, they're going to be they're going to be kind of doomed and, and waste away another year of a defense. Uh, the other thing I think of is. So if Foles could come in and, and be not very good either, that's that's another thing that I don't think a lot of people are kind of looking at. Um, you know, even if he's guaranteed to win the job, you know, we could find ourselves in a situation where he wins a job, they go, you know, one and three, two and two, maybe two and three, and people might be calling for Mitchell Trubisky to come in the middle of the season. I, I so wouldn't that say, be ironic? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing that happened to uh, Carson Wentz, except for, you know, Carson Wentz got hurt. So Nick Foles kind of came in and took over for there. But, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, we needed a quarterback competition. Um, the Bears really haven't had one since the quote-unquote Mike Lennon, Mitchell Trubisky one of a couple of years ago, where we all knew Mitchell Trubisky is going to play that season no matter what happened, it's just a matter of time. But yeah, I think you're right. If if the if Nick Foles plays up to those incentives, you know, I think the Bears will be a playoff team. And and one of his incentives, if I'm correct here, is gets a couple extra million if he takes the Bears or no, if, if takes the Bears NFC Championship game, he could essentially earn some more money and void out his contract and try to get a bigger contract. I don't know if that'll happen, but it's an interesting thought to uh, think of there. Yeah, so you talked about the incentives. Brad Biggs did a good piece on the Tribune about it. And basically, um, Foles, if Foles takes 80% of the offensive snaps and has a passer rating above 95 and the Bears qualify for the playoffs, he would earn $2.5 million incentive. Now, the one thing about that is that any of any bonus that he earns becomes his part of his base salary next season. So the, the salaries break down as $4 million base and 4 million signing bonus for each of 2021 and 22. Um, although 22 is a roster bonus for the 4 million. So basically it's $8 million broken into 4 million base and um, 4 million signing bonus or roster bonus. Then um, he can get up to um, he can, if he gets to the NFC championship game, then he gets a kicker of being able to void the next two years of the contract. So he could basically renegotiate with them or if, you know, he could perhaps become a free agent if that's what he wanted to do. But I think what you bring up is something that I don't think a lot of people want to think about, but that's actually the worst case scenario is if for some reason Foles wins the job and Mitch is not very good and Foles doesn't do well, then can I mean can you go back to Mitch? I I don't know. I mean I would have a hard time believing that I this is one scenario I could see playing out. Say you have a truncated training camp, a truncated um, you don't think you're gonna have mini camps. There's probably not gonna be any OTAs. Mitch might have the leg up in that scenario, although I feel like overall he doesn't actually have the advantage, but he might. So let's say he wins the job and he, because he's just a little more familiar with things, they have to kind of uh, limit the new installs and things like that because of COVID. So Mitch would, I think, have an extremely short leash if he's the starter and Foles is the backup. Vice versa, I'm not sure. If they start out with Foles and they don't get off to a hot start, 
and Foles is okay, but not amazing. I feel like he has a much longer leash. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, he, he might have a light, uh, longer leash, but it's going to depend on how he plays. If he's kind of losing your games, I, I don't think they'd be hesitant to uh, make the switch. But, you know, if they're if they're losing close games and he's playing well, I think that th- they'll keep him on a longer leash. But, yeah, what you said is pretty much worst-case scenario. I mean, there could be a situation where, you know, as rare as it might be that, that neither quarterback is on the roster, you know, in two years or even next season after this. Well, um, I mean, the Bears – so oh, that, to some degree, I think is a good thing that if basically the good part about what happened with the trade, I think, is that it's not a long term high dollar allocated, you know, cap hit deal. So they can sort of get out of it if if worst case scenario happens. Um, but the other scenario would be that Mitch kind of plays OK, like he did in 2018, because. Again, the offense was not good in 2018. I don't, you know, Mitch was good for a Bears quarterback, but not good in in the rest the way the rest of the league would look at a quarterback. Um, you know, he's just good by our by our grade on a curve quarterback eyes, and <laughs> and because because we basically you know we're we're just happy if the guy doesn't fall down you know when he when he backs up and throws the ball, but. If he plays average, what do we end up with? We end up paying Foles a lot of money to be a backup, and then we're left with the question of do we sign Mitch or, you know, do you let him walk and then kind of have Foles be the bridge? So that could be an awkward situation. And then you bring up the competition. Now, you're, I think you're quali- uniquely qualified to answer this because I was looking back at North Carolina and Mitch hasn't really done particularly well in quarterback competitions so far. I mean, he came out of Ohio, you know, in high school as Mr. Ohio, Mr. Football, Ohio went to North Carolina, which I think surprised a lot of people and then came in and the quarterback was Marquise Williams, who, you know, had come off of, some would say a good season. They had they had they had been in the ACC championship game and lost to Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, kind of a surprise season for North Carolina. But to me, the the way Trubisky was recruited, it's kind of a disappointment that he didn't play for two seasons behind Marquise Williams, who was a guy that is actually the backup quarterback for the XFL and New York Guardians, but. I mean, is not a guy that was drafted. He he ended up he played in Green Bay for a hot minute. But what was your take on the North Carolina? Because I know you do some North Carolina reporting. What was your take on Mitch in a quarterback competition at North Carolina? Yeah, so so that's actually an interesting story because I think there's a couple sides to it. I, I've seen reports that you know um, he was flat out beat by Marquise Williams. There's been reports that it was neck and neck. Um, everything that I've been told and know. Um, from people that have that were kind of there and around the program at the time was so Carolina was coming off you know an impressive they're getting going in uh, 2014 and Larry Fedora had his recruits in they felt like 2015 they could have a legit shot at winning the ACC um, with a lot of talent on that team there was a lot of good underrated talent on that team it was Marquise Williams' senior year and he started I believe the previous two seasons uh, before that. So from what I understand was 
Larry Fedora knew Mitchell Trubisky was the better quarterback. He knew he was a more talented quarterback. He was going to get his shot eventually. He's only a sophomore. Um, he actually, Marquise Williams was actually benched, I want to say, tw- two or three times in his career during a game. If you look on YouTube, there's a clip. I forgot that their opponent they're playing. It's fourth quarter. It's late. Um, Williams gets hurt. Trubisky's first throw, fourth down, was just a dart over the middle for like a 25-yard touchdown to win the game. So he he's had some experience. He's come in, and he, he's played in, played in blowouts. From what I understand from the whole situation, um, I, I, I don't know if I'm the only one that knows this, or there's, I'm sure there's other people that have kind of have similar stories with this, but Fedora wanted to go with the senior that year to start off, and he was going to make a switch if things you know, went downhill. problem is things didn't really go downhill. After they lost right. to South Carolina week one, I mean, they rolled through that season and were, and were beating everybody pretty good until they ran into uh, Clemson, who went on to – I believe they won to win the national championship that year. So, yeah, I don't know. The stories kind of get mixed up. I've heard both sides of it. That's the one I've heard that people have told me close to the program was that Mitch was probably the better quarterback, but they wanted to go to with Marquise, uh, the senior that year, even though Mitch was outperforming him. It was kind of more of a loyalty thing from what I understood. However, it is a little concerning, though, that they only had the one year starting um, at North Carolina going into that draft. That was one of the red flags that a lot of people, a lot of draft analysts had on Mitchell Trubisky. However, a lot of draft analysts said his ceiling was going to be the highest out of all the quarterbacks. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, there were plenty of people that liked him in the draft. I yep. just think it's it strikes me as weird that a kid who – you know, spe- seemed like he was highly recruited, ended up at North Carolina, uh, you know, and then, you know, didn't even end up, you know, you would think with North Carolina kind of being not not exactly a football hotbed. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I've heard both sides. I've heard the side that you just kind of said where it was Fedora kind of favored the senior and, um, you know, it wasn't as much of like a battle as it's made out to be. But again, I just think it's going to be really interesting how Mitch responds to this. I don't know if he's going to respond particularly well because I feel that Nagy is really going to be very different with Mitch this year. You kind of heard it at the combine, the way he was talking, you know, about taking the kid gloves off and DeFlippo, you know, kind of going to be tough with him and now you read the bears just put out this story about Nagy and Foles and how Nagy reignited Foles love of football when he almost retired. And then he signed with Kansas city and, you know, they're really building up Foles right now. And Foles has familiarity with more familiarity with the coaches than Mitch does. So it's, I, I feel like it's, a lot of people are kind of acting like Mitch is the incumbent and it's just going to, you know, slide in there as a starter. But it doesn't stack up like that to me. I think he's going to have a tough road, and I feel like that's what they want. I feel like at this point, they they went the coddling route. They went, you know, um, they went full boat on trying to surround him with every single coach and luxury and everything he could possibly want. You know, down to getting to handpick his own you know, center and, you know, have his buddy Michael Burton, the fullback on the team and all this stuff. And now it's like, okay, kid, like you're going to get us all fired if you don't pan out. So it's time, (laughs) you know, and I don't know. I just don't know how he's going to respond. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, we will see. So 
When when we talk about this trade for Foles, it's obviously the jury is still out, which kind of leads us into our our next segment, which is what are some of the worst trades in Bears history? And Zach, I'm sure you've got a couple. Yeah. Um. So let's see, going back, obviously the Greg Olson one stings really bad because they flat out said oh, there's no role for him. Um, in this offense, they shipped him off to Carolina where he had a couple Pro Bowl seasons. I think he had an all-pro season thrown in there. And and the Bears have kind of been searching for a legit tight end ever since. Uh, a couple other ones right off the top of my head um, from history. You know, trading, I believe they had number, I think they had number four, number four, number five overall. What was it 2003 NFL draft? That was the year they took uh, um Haynes and Rex Grossman in the first round because they traded, I believe it was the Jets. They traded yeah, back. They, they yeah. traded back, and, yeah, that was uh, um, <laughs> that was a trade that, that didn't pan out for sure. Yeah, could have had number four overall and tried to get a playmaker there, and that was pretty much going to be an up-and-coming team at the time. Two years later, they they won the NFC North. Um, a couple other, and the Rick Meyer one, what was that, 96, 97-ish? Uh, somewhere in that late 90s where they traded uh, for Rick Meyer. Yeah, it was really 90, 97, uh, Zach. They gave uh, they gave Seattle their first-round pick for Rick, Rick Meyer, and a, they got a fourth-rounder back. Meyer lasted just one season. Yeah, not a good uh, not a good uh, draft, especially when I mean that that was the Warwick Dunn Tony Gonzalez draft. A couple picks after that, so they could have had capable back and a tight end. And the other one I'll go with, I'm probably going to miss a couple actually, but the other one I, um, I remember most was it 2007. Yeah. After the Super Bowl, trading away Thomas Jones and pretty much going with, um, Cedric Benson, the late Cedric Benson as the, uh, standout running back. Uh, that was just, I don't know at the time. I mean, I might've been a little too much young to understand these trades, but yeah, Thomas Jones, I felt like was a beast running back. So those would have to be my couple. Of, I can give you three or four there uh, that I know at the top of my head so far. I, I'm probably forgetting some, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm, well, we'll we'll go over a few of them. Um, in George Hallis called this trade his biggest blunder when he dealt quarterback Bobby Lane to the New York Bulldogs for two players, a draft choice, and fifty thousand uh, dollars. That happened in 1949. Uh, and, uh, you know, all Lane did was was lead the Lions to three NFL titles. I don't think they've seen a title since Lane was uh, uh, had retired. But that was George Hallis's biggest blunder, according to his uh, his biography, Hallis by Hallis. Um, the biggest one for me was in 1970. Uh, the, the Bears came off a 1969 which is their worst season in history franchise. They finished the season one and 13. They tied that year for the worst record with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who ironically was the only team the bears beat that year at Wrigley field. Back in those days, they just had a a coin toss. The bears called the coin toss. They lost, they lost the coin toss. Um, Pittsburgh drafted Terry Bradshaw. Yep, that's right. The the Bears traded the number two overall 
pick in the in that draft to none other than the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they actually uh, they drafted defensive tackle Mike McCoy, who ended up playing for the Packers for nine seasons. In return, the Bears got three has-beens: uh, linebacker Leroy Caffey, uh, defensive back Elijah Pitts, and offensive lineman Bob Highland. Uh, none of them made an impact with the Bears. In fact, Caffey uh, and Highland only played one year. Uh, Pitts didn't even make the team in 1970. He got cut before the regular season. So uh, that one has to go down as probably the worst the worst trade is, as far as draft-related that I can remember. I was... Uh, <laughs> And you got to. I, I was only 13 at the time in 1970. So, um, but it, that one stuck with me like a sore thumb. How about uh, uh, how about two quarterback um, trade ups? The uh, Mitchell Trubisky getting rid of the yeah, uh, <laughs> the picks. Can't forget that one, especially. Yeah. I think that's even worse because of the other quarterbacks that were taken later on. And then you sure. look at some of the picks that were um, used by the bear or by the teams that uh, had the bears picked. I mean, the saints took Alvin Kamara with one of them. That was another one. I can't believe who I can't remember who it was. Um, that one. And then I'll give you another throwback. How about uh, the Cade McNown draft where they traded, well, they trade like number six or seven. Yeah. So they had number that was going to bring that one up. They had number seven and um, they, they moved back. Um, so, so they were able to, um, they, they were able to get, uh, back to 12 and, um, four additional draft picks. So they moved from number seven to number 12 overall. And this was because they thought they were going to get a quarterback. Um, and they got two third rounders, a fourth rounder and a fifth rounder. So the problem was, is that in that draft, you, you, they, 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 the quarterbacks all went early. And this was also the draft that Mike Ditka screwed up everything by trading his entire draft to be able to get Ricky Williams on the saints, um, which didn't work out so well. So you had Tim couch go number one, Donovan McNabb go number two, Achilles Smith go number three, the seven spot ended up being the Redskins and they took champ Bailey. Um, so in some ways you could say that, I mean, I don't know how it would have broken because Ricky Williams went fifth. So let's say that the, the Dick doesn't screw up the whole draft and doesn't end up in that spot. The bears could have easily ended up with Akili Smith as well, but they thought they were going to end up with Dante Culpepper who went number 11 right before them at, uh, to Minnesota. And then they ended up with Cade McNown, <laughs> which, yeah, as we know, good. was not good. Um, you know, and then uh, you can see they they end up they picked a, a guy named Russell Davis in the second round, uh, Rex Tucker, who was a decent player for them, the third guy named Dwayne Bates, which didn't end up being much of a player. Marty Booker ended up being a good good pick for them in the third, but. It's, you know, Bears, the Bears and first round picks in general haven't been the best of uh, bedfellows. <laughs> you know? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> speaking of speaking of first round picks, here's a doozy for you. 1977, the Bears traded uh, their 1978 first round pick to Cleveland for quarterback. Do you remember the quarterback, Zach? 
Or is that a little bit before your time? Uh, that was a little bit before my time. Mike Phipps. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. A little, a little bit before my time. Cleveland, in turn, used the draft pick for Ozzie Newsome. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know about that which, one. Which completely changed the fortunes of like everything. I mean, you, you, you Ozzie Newsome could now be a bear that, you know, a GM like guru type of guy, the way that he ended up being for the Browns and Ravens organization. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just so crazy how these sort of things can really change the entire fortune of, of an organization, you know, it's yeah, just, go, I mean, going back in history, a ton of moves in the NFL. It's crazy how one move, you know, uh, the the tuck rule with Brady and the Patriots and the Raiders. I mean, what? Who knows what happens after that if it if it doesn't mm-hmm. go that way? Worst rule ever. So, what do you think, <laughs> Zach, about this um, this thing that's coming up? People are talking about them adding two more rounds in the draft because of the basically because of the restrictions with with COVID. And I guess there's been a lot of GMs that have been wanting this for a while because they 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 don't like the UDFA process. Um, they'd rather just have two more rounds of the draft. Have you heard any rumblings about that? Do you think that's something that might might happen? Um, probably in the future. Um, I think it's a legit possibility. I mean, I, I you can't rule out anything. With the NFL, I mean, every time I see something that, that comes by a report, you know, even, I mean, think about it. We thought changing the playoffs was crazy a couple of years ago or, or adding a 17th game, things like that. It's just, I mean, I've learned over time with the NFL, anything is possible. If, if there's a rumor, like, you know, the, the reports are coming out today about the draft and adding the, adding the rounds. Um, I mean, unless it's something crazy, crazy, we should probably start paying a little attention to it because eventually, you know, within a couple of years, it's probably going to happen, um, especially with Roger Goodell, you know, holding the commissioner spot. Yeah, as you say, I've heard a lot of rumbling that they're pushing for it kind of hard this year because they just are worried that how can you how can you meet with these guys, you know, the way you need to to get the UDFA signed? Yeah. Because that's such a I mean, that's such a that's such a deal of the kind of the area scouts and the, you know, your, your, your guys out in the field. And these guys haven't been out in the, the field, or at least they're not supposed to be for, for a couple months now. Almost. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, this, this is obviously going to be a very different draft, especially with the prospects having to do video chats and, and yeah. um, no workouts for the teams. You know, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's probably very few that got their workouts in and, early March or the private visits in early March. And I don't, I don't think I've heard of Maybe there's a couple pro days, but for the most part, most of them are canceled. Yeah. Well, uh, what's been happening recently is that they've been, they've been trying to set up these regional kind of mini pro days for some of these guys to put some video on tape. Um, uh, so, but yeah, they're not official by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It's, it's an odd time with this draft and it's, I'm curious to see what's going to happen moving forward because I, I don't think there's going to be, you know, there's not going to be rookie mini camps. Uh, there's probably not going to be OTAs. I think the next practice of football we get is probably going to be training camp. Probably. Hey, before we get more involved in, in the, uh, in the draft and free agency, there's one last terrible trade I want to talk about. 
Um, the Bears had a had a certain tight end in the early 60s, uh, and he also was a little bit free speaking, and he happened to mention that. And this is a, a stigma that has affected the Bears even to this day. When Mike Ditka, of all people, uh, spoke uh, in not so glowing terms about George Hallis and, he, and that he threw nickels around like manhole covers. So in 1967, the Bears ended up trading Ditka to Philadelphia. Uh, they ended up getting quarterback Jack and Cannon, who became the starter for a few years, who was replaced by the probably one of the worst quarterback starting quarterbacks in Bears history by the name of Bobby Douglas. Uh, then I was a season ticket holder when he was a quarterback, and it was just absolutely the most brutal time uh, in in Bears. <laughs> the 72, 73, 74 seasons, I believe, were the Abe Gibron years, and they were just, just terrible. But so, uh, so that said, let's dig a little bit more into the draft. You know, we were talking about the Rex Grossman trade uh, the Bears had the number four pick. Uh, there were three quarterbacks chosen before Rex Grossman. Does anybody, can anybody gather who those three quarterbacks were? Uh, let's see, would that be what, 2003? 2003. The number was, one overall was a quarterback going to the Bengals. Uh, was Carson Palmer was number one. Yep. And then number seven went to Jacksonville. And this is this is the guy I wanted the Bears to draft. Oh, was it uh, Byron Leftwich? That's the guy. Yeah. That is the guy. Yeah, and carried down the field in college after yep. he had a broken leg. Marshall, yeah. Yep, he had a broken leg. And they, they ran him down the field, and uh, they ended up winning that game. Probably one of the, the wildest finishes. The Baltimore Ravens, 19th overall, drafted Kyle Bowler. Rex oh, okay. Grossman yep. went 22. Sadly enough, uh, here's some of the guys that were drafted um, bef- right around the same time that uh, Haynes was drafted. Terrell Suggs. Good Marcus, Truf- <laughs> Marcus Trufant. They Very went 10 and, 10 and 11. Um and a guy by the name of Troy Palomalu went 16th overall uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's uh, that's that's who we missed out on, guys. Yeah, that's rough. Could have had a couple uh, long-term solutions there on the defense. I would like to take a completely unfair shot at the Detroit Lions, though, and mock them for taking Charles Rogers number two overall oh, in that draft. Yeah. That's that's. I would just like to throw a little shade at the Detroit Lions for that. <laughs> well, they, and you know, all, and anytime you can throw shade at the Detroit Lions, it's well worth it. Yes, I think so. <laughs> exactly. I feel the same. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> so, Zach, um, you've been talking. Um, we we talked at length earlier in this broadcast about the quarterback situation. And uh, I believe you're on record as saying the Bears need to draft a quarterback sooner rather than later this year. So who you got going to the Bears in in the draft? Yeah, so I I actually I wrote on this for the Bear Report that, you know, it shouldn't be a matter of if this year. It should actually be a matter of when the Bears draft a quarterback. Um, 
I'd be very intrigued. I'd, if, if a player like Jordan Love is hovering around there at the end of the first round, maybe early second round, that'd probably be the guy I'd trade up for. I wouldn't, I, I don't think I don't think the Bears should trade up. I'll say that first. But if there is a player to go up there, I would go up and get Jordan Love uh, late in the first round if it's not too expensive. You don't really want to mortgage your future. However, if you're sitting in a second round and you have you know number 43 overall and you got Jacob Eason sitting on the board, I'd be very intrigued by him. I, I'm not a fan of Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's going to be a good quarterback. The the negatives on him is he's not a good pure passer. He, he bails out of the pocket too often, doesn't go through his progressions, and that kind of sounds like a Mitchell Trubisky to me, and that's not what the Bears really want. We've seen Trubisky not go through his progressions and oftentimes just take off, run, and try to make a play happen with his feet. I don't think Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are going to want that again. Um, I wasn't really impressed with Jake Fromm. I, I wouldn't take him in the second round. I'd, I'd be intrigued by Eason. I don't think he'll be there, though. So for me, the second round is going to be a no-go as it stands now. I would actually look to day three and try finding a developmental project. I liked James Morgan out of um, FIU, and he played at Bowling Green to start off his career um, in college. However, he's starting to climb a little bit on the draft board. There's been a couple reports out lately that you know a couple teams have their eyes on him, might even take him as early as a late day two pick. I wouldn't see the Bears doing that. So if he's ruled out, um, you look at guys <clears> – <throat> Anthony Gordon out of Washington State is a good player that can come in and sit a year or two, learn the offense, and then you know be thrown into action later on in his career. Uh, Cole McDonald out of Hawaii is an interesting prospect. And then you know if you're looking at a guy that I think would be worth a late seventh round pick on, or even an undrafted free agent, I really like uh, Mason Fine out of North Texas. He's kind of got that Case Keenum comparison where you can fling the football down the field. They, they play, I believe it's the air raid um, for the mean green over there in North Texas. And he could throw the football. He could really sling the football. I think he'd be an interesting um, undrafted free agent to kind of bring in here and sit because look at it this way. If you're going to go second round quarterback, you're going to be looking at a guy that's going to be ready that you need ready to play with, you know, next season or, um, you know, if someone gets hurt. Um, you know, someone like Jacob Eason could could benefit from sitting this one year, then taking over the following season. He's got a huge arm, but there's just so it's such a deep wide receiver class. Um, it's a good guard class in that second round. You could maybe find some edge rushers, some some uh, defensive backs. I wouldn't go quarterback in the second round unless it was Eason. That's me personally, but. I think the Bears are going to be looking for a guy that they, they can develop and, and let sit, you know, maybe two years um, and learn the offense. Do you think that there's any way, because I've seen an interesting scenario thrown out there where the Patriots might be interested in getting into the second round because they don't have any second round picks, even though they have a lot of picks. Um, do you think there's any way that Pace actually trades back? Because I, I think you're right. There's a lot of value uh, in this draft, and it doesn't, it doesn't, oh, it doesn't totally match up with the Bears' needs. You know, I, I hope they take honestly with the, with the second round pick, either 43 or 50. I hope that there's a receiver there for them, either like Mims or an off chance, or maybe Hamler, um, or you know, or if you know, it would be a pipe dream, but maybe even Rieger. Um, yeah, that's my guy. Rieger. That would be the guy that you would hope, but I don't think he's getting out of the first. I don't think I don't know if any of those guys are going to get out of the first round. Maybe Hamler would be the one, but I've seen some people say they're going to slide. 
Um, do you think there's any chance that Pace trades back and and picks up a third round pick or you know gets a fourth back? You know because I think the Bears need safety, um, which I don't know unless you somehow end up with uh, Chin, you know, or Winfield. Uh, and and I don't know if a second round pick for those guys. I don't know, I've seen people say Chin could go in the first, but I'm not sure if I buy that. Um, do you think Pace trades back, or what do you think? I think it's more likely Pace trades back than he does up. I mean, he's pretty much traded in every draft he's had uh, mm. with the Bears so far. I think, yeah, you, you know, you go 43, you're going to go best player available. Um, right. it, it, probably going to be a guard, a safety, a defensive back, or a wide receiver. Um, the wide receiver class is so deep that the Bears can – Get a talented playmaker there um, at 43. I think 50 is probably the best bet to, to trade back, and I'd actually prefer that if, if I were Ryan Pace of the Bears because you could probably stock up a couple picks, maybe two, three picks, um, depending on what round it is. But if you could trade that number 50, get maybe a third or a fourth back, and then get an additional fifth and sixth, you, could, you have some stuff to work with there uh, to kind of stockpile picks. I'd say there's a good chance right now that – Ryan Pace would trade back. The thing, though, to think to to kind of remember here is this is all done with video and, and teleconference. I think right. we're going to see a lot less trades this year uh, than we have in the past. I think there's just too many loops to go through, you know, on draft day to um, execute a trade, get it in. Um, you know, there's the there's the fear of maybe someone hacks someone's draft. Uh, Conference. Harbaugh, Harbaugh, yeah. Mr. Mr. Fuddy Duddy is all worried about the internet. I'm like, yeah. Hey, we'll <laughs> see. I mean, it, it, it's going to be odd. And I think, you know, we could see some trades maybe agreed to, you know, in principle before the draft and then they call them in, you know, during the draft and figure it all out. But I would prefer if the Bears did trade back and maybe get you know, a couple extra picks here. I'm going to throw three names at you, Zach, uh, see what you think about. They're all receivers. Um, I think that uh, uh, I like all three. I want to see what you think about these guys. Van Jefferson out of Florida. Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. And last but not least, uh, was it Quintez Cephas out of uh, Wisconsin? Uh, The guy was just a beast in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, so, you know, with uh, Van, um, obviously the the uh, foot injury is, is the worry because he has a fracture in the right foot. Um, but he's been a guy that's met with the Bears. He actually went to the same high school as Allen Robinson. He's been in contact with him. I asked him at the Combine about it, and he said, yeah, I'd love to play opposite Allen Robinson in my professional career. So I think he's, he's a target. If he slips into that day three, he is um, – He's a legit, you know, option for the Bears. I think he could be a steal. The worry is that foot. I think if he didn't have that foot problem, maybe he could snuck into the second, third round. But who knows? The the, the deep draft class doesn't really benefit him. Um, who's but it second, could benefit the Bears. Could benefit the Bears, Bears very much. Um, Claypool on Notre Dame. I don't think anyone has done more at the receiver position to help their stock than pretty much what he did at the combine. He had a fantastic combine. Um, I've been seeing some people have him as a tight end, wide receiver hybrid. I think, you know, you can line him up in the slot. You can line him up at tight end if you want, possibly. You can line him up out wide. Kind of the jack of all trades, to be honest. And I think he's, he helped the stock. He should probably be in that second, third round range, maybe fourth round range, depending. It, it, it's going to be crazy because you have to look at this class and it's like, 
how many of them have first round, second round grades? And what's going to happen if there's, you know, a run on another position, it's going to bump all these wide receivers back. So we'll have to see um, if that happens. And, and like you said, who could it benefit? Uh, it could benefit the bears if they have a target. Um, and who was the third one you said? I'm sorry. Uh, the, the third one was uh, the Badger wide receiver, Quintez Cephas. Oh, yeah, yeah. So with, you know, Wisconsin, what are we used to with Wisconsin? You don't really running hear the ball. Of, running the ball, good yeah. offensive line. So you really don't hear a lot about their wide receivers, but he, he was one of the better wide receivers in the Big Ten. Um, I think he'd be a fit on day three. Maybe if he climbs up a little bit. I, I, I just think, you know, the Bears are going to – I want the Bears to get a wide receiver that has speed. They need some speed on this offense. And maybe the combination of speed and a big body um, helps them out. If that's him – We'll see, but it's going to be interesting, again, how these wide receivers fall in this draft and, and if there's a run on them early or not. Well, and there's another guy that's recently kind of been in the news that uh, Brandon Ayuk from uh, ASU uh, it just announced that he's going to have surgery. Um, a lot of people were surprised that his 40 time was so slow, and I guess he it t- turns out he had some sort of abdominal injury so he might be a guy that could slide because of that. A lot of people like him. Uh, what do you what do you think about him? Yeah, so I was actually just going to do um, – we have a scouting report coming out on him, I believe, this week. And I've watched a little bit of his tape. Like like you said, I mean, the, everyone was a little alarmed with the 40 time because if you watch his college highlights, he looks pretty dang fast at Arizona mm-hmm. State. So, yeah, I mean, then the injury was – I think it was yesterday it came out. Yesterday or Monday yeah. it came out. Um yeah, I mean, the, you know, the red flag, same thing with uh, Jefferson, too. He's got, you know, that injury in his foot. So we'll see. I mean, if, if you know, a guy um, like Van Jefferson or um, I'm going to – I can't – I'm going to butcher his name, so I won't even say it. But um, the Arizona wide State – Arizona State wide receiver, Ayuk, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, they could be targets in the second round. They could be targets in the, the fifth round. But – Either way, I think both are solid players. That I would be happy with either of those two picks. Another focus that the the, the Bears have uh, been looking at, and I know you have talked about, is uh, tight end. Bryson Hopkins has had no fewer than three meetings with the Bears, uh, with the third one uh, by by telephone lately. Uh, Cole Komet has been talked about, and there's probably been three or four other tight ends whose names have been linked to the bears one way or another. Tell us about the tight end position. Yeah. So, you know, I would, if I'm the bears, I would probably stay away from the tight end and with one of your two second round picks. I, I don't think it's a good class. I think Komet's probably the best tight end. He's probably going to go late first round, maybe early second round. Um, he's a local product. And then you have, um, who is it? The, the kid out of Washington. Um, is it Hunter Bryant? Who's, up there with Bryson Hopkins. And then after that, it kind of drops off and you just kind of have a variety of these tight ends who look like they're might not be ready to be in, impactful players at the next level. Uh, if you want to take a chance on one later and on day three, I'd, I'd probably go that route. To be honest, I actually have Bryant falling to the bears in um, day three. That's kind of an option. One of the, one of the 10 options um, for the bears that they should take a look at. I did, it, overall, it's just not a good tight end class. And looking at next year's, it doesn't look very good either. So I don't know what the Bears are going to do at that position. 
And Jared Pinckney had um, a lot of hype around him coming out of Vanderbilt. That seemed to kind of die down. Um, there's the other Bryant, Harrison Bryant out of Florida Atlantic, who is interesting, big body wide receiver. Kid at um, Virginia Tech, I'm blinking on his name. Um, he's kind of like that uh, Swiss Army knife. He played a little running back, some fullback, um, inline tight end. So, yeah, I think the Bears are going to need to find, you know, a tight end that could be a mismatch. And if they do that on day three, someone like Hunter Bryant, who can line up in the slot um, and line up at tight end and be a primary pass catcher because they're going to use Demetrius Harris as their primary blocker. Anything you get from Trey Burton, it's probably a bonus next season. Uh, I don't think Adam Shaheen's going to be on the roster. And then Jimmy Graham, if, if they can find a way to use his big body and height, um, they'll be good. I, I, it wouldn't shock me, though, if they didn't even address tight end um, in the draft. The more I write about the more I think about it, I, I find myself trying to convince myself more now that they will take one. I just, I'm kind of falling back that they, that they might not even take a tight end in this draft. Well, I just, I kind of agree with you that they have 10 tight ends on the roster right now. And I just, I think there's a few that they like. I think they like Demetrius Harris. I think that they like Horstead. I think that they still like Dax Raymond, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I think, I know they like JP Holtz, uh, uh, you know, um, so it's, it's hard to know where one of these guys fits in you know and so the way that the free agency went it would definitely lead you to believe okay the big holes right now are at cornerback and safety and so you know and then wide receiver so you need the speed wide receiver you need the cornerback you need the safety tight end i mean whether or not you love the jimmy graham deal or not he's gonna be there he's been and and i think this is something interesting and it hasn't really been talked about that much is and maybe you know something about it but Trey Burton had another surgery. He had a labrum surgery, which is not what everybody was talking about was his injury. Everybody was talking about it. It was a groin. It was a hernia. Well, it turns out it was a labrum, which apparently can can look like a groin or a hernia. And so he and the Bears, from what I've heard, are pretty hopeful that that's going to be, you know, the ticket. Have you heard anything on on Burton if he's, you know, if he if he's going to come out and 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 get back to being himself? Yeah, so Ryan Pace said uh, during the teleconference they expect all the guys that had surgery, uh, Roquan Smith, Anthony Miller, um, Trubisky, and uh, Trey Burton, that they expect to be ready for training camp. However, that's what we heard last year about Trey Burton, that he expected to be ready at training camp, and he missed, I believe it was like the first seven or eight practices. We really didn't see him. And when he was out there, he was clearly bothered and being hampered by that, and then he missed week one. So I kind of say it. I mean, I said I think it's a bonus. I think whatever he gives you next year is going to be a bonus because right now you can't fully rely on, you know, rely on him to be that guy that they thought they were getting when they signed him. So – yeah, as of now, I mean, everything Ryan Pace has told us, he, he appears to be on track. He's on the schedule to return for training camp. But, I mean, would it shock me if he didn't practice that first couple of days of training camp? No. Um, would it shock me if he did? No. I think you just got to take it as we go and, and wait to see him on the field. I just I, – great guy, but I just would not have a lot of high expectations for him right now. Yeah, it's, just, it's interesting because, I, I mean, that surgery – you know, the only person I've heard really go into depth about it is Hub Arkish, who apparently also had the same surgery, um, not as an athlete, clearly, but he struggled with um, uh, he struggled with groin and hernia issues. And then it turned out it was the labrum. 
um, of the hip, which is, you know, basically pretty important to your hip. And it, and it basically masks itself as a core injury. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful about that because honestly, that would be awesome. Like if they really had Burton and Graham, I mean, I know it would be a little funky that neither one of them are quite what you exactly want in a Y and a U or whatever, but um, I mean, so what? They're two dynamic guys who can be really good, and then maybe you have Holtz, you know, in the in the blocking role and in the, you know as a fullback, and then Harris as your blocking. I mean, I just think it gives you a lot of options, and it could be sneaky. It could end up being a sneaky area of strength for them, and then you're right, they don't draft a tight end or at least not one, you know, not one high up. Yeah, it's, you know, the injury, it's it's a complicated one. I think a lot of people, you know, don't understand. I mean, you guys understand from what you're saying. Um, I just think, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, I, I can't get out there. I mean, it's not, like you said, it's it's not an easy injury to deal with. I mean, the hip is a very important part, the labrum. And yeah. for a tight end, I mean, you're doing a lot of blocking, twisting, turning, looking back for, you know, catches. You're getting hit a lot. So, yeah. Everything I know right now is that he's he says they say he's on track, but I just don't know, and I, I just keep going back. I just think it's it's got to be the it's got to just be a bonus whatever you get from him right. if you compare him with Jimmy Graham. We're talking draft with BearReport.com's very own Zach Pearson. Zach, um, any dark horses that you're looking at for the Bears in, in, either in day two or day three? that are uh, maybe more or less off the radar. Yeah, uh, so I, I mentioned Mason Fine. I won't I won't go too much into him. Uh, Cole McDonald's another guy that I, I like. I like his skill set. I think he could be an interesting uh, developmental pick for quarterback. Looking at running back, I really like Michael Pirine, the, the kid out of Florida. I think he's very uh, underrated, and, you know, he's got prototypical size for running back. He's like 5'11", 216, really good through the whole – Good burst. Uh, struggles at the second level, though, which um, it would be a little bit of a concern. But, I mean, bringing in a running back to this offense, um, you, David Montgomery is going to be your starter. Tariq Cohen is going to be kind of your gadget back. You're just looking for a guy that can give you know give Montgomery a break, get, get some reps in there, maybe a third down back. Uh, P. Ryan might fit that. The hybrid uh, player, um, uh, Gibson out of Memphis, is another intriguing one. A lot of speed. He might not be a little more under the radar, but – he could be a nice day three pick um, for the Bears. And then uh, Lucas Yang out of TCU, the tackle. I think they got to address the tackle position. I think you got to find a way to get a better swing tackle um, and, and maybe potentially find a diamond in the rough. Good size on him, good blocker, good pass blocker, I'm sorry. So we'll see if the Bears can address that. Uh, those would be kind of my four diamonds. Um, I'm actually putting out an article uh, should be this week about 10 options for the bears on day three. I've pretty much actually named all of them. Even and I got Anthony Gordon on there as well. Even though I talked about him a little earlier, those are kind of my, my diamonds. I think that the bears could, um, uh, sorry, the bears could, you know, find me some diamonds in the rough. So like Jason Strobridge on North Carolina, I think he's a solid player, um, defensive end that could, uh, add some depth to the defensive line, hard worker, good, uh, good pass rush moves too. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, the bears have what they have, uh, four picks, seven, no, five picks on, uh, 
on day three of the draft as it stands now. So they're gonna be in, they're gonna be in the uh, have to find some uh, good death pieces there. What about uh, where we've touched base a little bit about running back in uh, in a, I live in Wisconsin, um, just uh, about 45 minutes south of Cam Brandle Stadium. And uh, there's a running back there that, that left early for the draft by the guy, by the name of Jonathan Taylor, who ended up being the, what, number one running back in the 40 at the Combine and surprised everybody with his pass-catching ability. And while we were talking about his, his teammate uh, at wide receiver, one of the things that Wisconsin doesn't do very often is throw the ball to the running back. So he surprised a lot of people with his pass catching abilities at the combine. Uh, and quite frankly, I'd love to see that guy, if he's available on day three, uh, come to the bears because of his speed, because of the way he hits the hole. And if he gets to the second level, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, he's an interesting one. Uh, came in last season with a lot of hype. Was probably the best running back in the big 10. Uh, I, I think JK Dobbins is fantastic too, out of Ohio state. Yeah, Taylor's an interesting one because, like you said, he really impressed with that 40-yard dash. I didn't think he was going to run that uh, at the combine. And then the whole um, catching passes out of the backfield, doing the drill at the quarterbacks, he upped his stock, certainly. I I don't know if he'll be there day three. I think he'll probably go um, day two, maybe second, third round. Um, I thought, you know, going into the season, it, it felt like he was going to be the guy, the running back, to kind of go first round. Um, maybe not top 10, maybe, you know, 20 to 30, although it is a very talented class coming out this year. And there's a lot of, um, sorry, uh, speedsters in the backfield. Yeah. Taylor is a very interesting, uh, running back. And I think he'd be a fit for the bears. I just don't know if they'd spend it a second round pick on a player like Jonathan Taylor. Uh, if he fell though, I, I would be for it. I mean, you know, currently you got, Guys towards the top, you probably have, you know, someone like DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, um, J.K. Dobbins, who I mentioned earlier, uh, oh, guy was a kid out of Florida State, Cam Akers, you know, someone like uh, Zach Moss out of Utah. Those are probably the guys that are ahead of Taylor right now. Then you look, oh, um, LSU kid too, uh, Edwards Hilaire, solid back. So, yeah, Taylor's got a couple guys in front of him. But, I mean, he is a solid prospect. I think he, he looked pretty damn good in a, in a Bears uniform sure in the backfield with Montgomery and Cohen. Zach Pearson, bearreport.com. Always a pleasure to have you on the, on the Halifax yeah. Hall Show. Uh, we'll have to have you on again, and, and you're always welcome to come on. In fact, Sweet. you know you know where to reach us, man. And, and if you got something to say and you want to – uh, you want some time on our show, you're always welcome. For sure. Sounds good. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for uh, having me on. I'm looking forward to the draft. Thankfully, uh, we got some NFL stuff to hold us over here um, during these tough times. Yeah, we only have to wait two more weeks uh, yep. as it is. Uh, obviously, we're recording on a Wednesday evening, and the Bears uh, won't be participating in the draft until Friday. So we've yep. got uh, a few extra days we have to wait. So we're 16 days away from the Bears' first pick in the 2020 draft. Zach, please uh, reach out to us anytime if you want to come on the show. If you got something important you want to say, you're always welcome. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
When we come back, we're going to hear from our sponsor, uh, TickSplits.com. Uh, when we come back, we're going to go right into our history segment. The one and only Gail Sayers will be right back. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue everywhere ticksplits.com any venue every ticket everywhere uh, you can use promo code tailgate t-a-i-l-g-a-t-e all caps uh, a lot of concerts have already been rescheduled for later this year so you want to get some great seats uh, people aren't buying tickets right now and if you can uh, find some great seats and great prices and never pay a service fee, now's the time to go to TickSplits.com for your concert needs. Uh, and as far as the sports is concerned, nobody knows what's happening in the sports world. Uh, obviously, we talk about the Bears, but uh, there's been talk that the Major League Baseball might start their season at empty stadiums in the Arizona uh, Cactus League stadiums for spring training and sequester the players and play in front of empty stands. We have no idea when basketball is coming back. We have no idea when hockey is coming back uh, or even NASCAR for, or horse racing for, for that matter. But uh, whatever you guys are doing, if we, I hope you're listening in. Uh, stay safe. Stay at home. There's no need to go outside. If we can uh, sit tight for another couple of weeks, uh, there's rumors out that the curve is is indeed starting to uh, flatten out so just stay safe uh, Aaron Gail Sayers number 40 he's uh, the next in line in our history segment and what what a talent uh, he was I know you weren't alive for his career uh, but he was uh, he was out of the University of Kansas uh, he was born May 30th of, of 1943. Uh, he was actually drafted by both the Bears and the Kansas City Chiefs. You got to remember that in the mid '60s, the NFL was going head to head against the AFL, and uh, the Bears drafted him in the first round. The Kansas City Chiefs drafted him in the first round. Uh, he ended up uh, having a long heart-to-heart conversation with his wife, actually, and they came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, the NFL is where it's at, and he wanted to play for George Hallis, and uh, he definitely uh, made his mark uh, in the NFL. He, he burst on the scene in 1965. Believe it or not, he did not score a touchdown his first game. The Bears ended up getting k- killed uh, in the opener at San Francisco. They, uh, they lost something like 24 to 52 to 17 or some ridiculous score. Uh, He scored his first touchdown in the second quarter at Los Angeles the following week. So after the first two weeks of the 1965 season, he had one touchdown. During the next 12, he proceeded to roll off 21 
touchdowns to set an all-time rookie record that I believe still stands with 22 touchdowns, six of them uh, in a game against the, the San Francisco 49ers in a rematch. Uh, back in those days, they played the Rams. They played the 49ers at home and away because they were both in the Western Conference of the NFL at that time. And uh, that was absolutely just a massacre on a really sloppy field in at Wrigley Field where the Bears used to play their home games. Uh, and uh, the guy was just an absolute terror with those 22 touchdowns. Aaron, uh, but you, you know Gale mostly by film and and by uh, the movie Brian's song, I would bet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't have any uh, strong recollection of him, but obviously he's uh, a, a mythical figure in Bears history and then uh, in football history because of uh, the movie Brian's song. You know, of course, the story of the first uh, – uh, interracial uh, roommates ever in the NFL and Brian Piccolo having cancer and it turned it turned into a very popular uh, movie and it's one of those uh, tearjerker movies that uh, everybody kind of has a soft spot for especially because it's a sports movie um, you know and so he um, you know he has that place even though his career was short kind of cut short by injury. Um, and even when he was on the stage uh, at the Bears 100, he's he's very old. He's in a wheelchair. Um, he suffers from dementia and, and so forth. Um, so it wasn't – I don't know if he totally knew what was going on, but it was very emotional when he came out onto that stage. Um, you know, uh, and um, so, you know, he just has this, uh, this place in Bears lore and um, – you know, you don't. It's the kind of thing where um, he's sort of his career is uh, much larger than the sum of its uh, of its statistics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guy was, you know, he was nicknamed the Kansas Comet. He ran a 9.700 yard dash. Uh, you know, he was a four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, 1965, six and seven, and then then he had a horrific injury uh, where he tore every single ligament in his right knee against uh, again of the, the 49ers. The, the the 49ers seemed to it was either uh, you know it, it was it was all or nothing against the 49ers uh, a lot back in in the 60s. He was five times first team All Pro uh, just about every year of his of his career. Uh, he was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 1969. Of course, he was the Rookie of the Year in '65. Uh, he was he led the NFL in rushing both in '66 and '69. Both those years, he rushed for over a thousand years, or a thousand yards. Uh, in 1969, uh, you know, you got to remember that that he tore up his knee, all three major ligaments in his knee and they didn't have anywhere near the advancement in technology and surgery that they have today. And even in today's realm, uh, an ACL injury, you're out for at least a year, at least a year. Now he did not get injured until the second week of November in 1968 at Wrigley field against the 49ers. Um, ironically, the week prior to that, 
He had his best game rushing ever up in Green Bay. He ran for 205 yards. Uh, and it's a lot like the uh, Walter Payton 275-yard game against Minnesota in 77. Uh, the Bears won by a field goal, you know, in that game. It was like 13-10. to 10. The Bears beat uh, Minnesota 10-7 to 7 in 77. So in two, the two of the most prolific running games in the history of the Bears organization, it was a low-scoring affair that they ended up squeaking out victories in. Um, I had the pleasure of, of seeing Gail Sears, even though I was a kid, uh, in 1965, uh, I was eight years old. Uh, the very first game I ever remember uh, being at uh, was against the Rams. Uh, the Bears uh, beat the Roman Gabriel-led Los Angeles Rams that day. Uh, and the guy was just incredible. I, I also was at the, the last game he ever played at. Uh, with Chicago, which was against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1971. Uh, and then he, they were on the road for a couple of weeks and then he retired. But uh, just an amazing talent. Uh, he could run. He could catch. Uh, he could return punts. He could return kickoffs. Uh, the guy was just, you know, he, he was just amazing. Imagine... Imagine Devin Hester's ability to return kicks for, and, com, and combine him with Willie Gallimore with his speed and elusiveness and Walter Payton's desire to be the best. And that's what you had in Gale Sears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he did have some – he also was a, a guy that was uh, – very well spoken. He had some great quotes. Um, one of which was, uh, "We must stop the trend of closing schools and building prisons." Um, he also said, "The Lord is first, my friends are second, and I am third, uh, which is a famous quote from him. Uh, he also said, "Football is a very short-term proposition. Football really prepares you for nothing. The only thing I got out of football was the ability to work hard, and that's it." So he never, he never, you know bought into his own fame too much. He was a very humble guy. Um, another thing I think was a funny quote is that he said, people think I played 10 years. I played 68 ball games. Uh, he also said, I have no idea what I did. I heard people talk about dead legs, shake, change of pace and all that, but I did things without thinking about them. You know, just pure instinctual athlete. Um, you know, but also a guy that, you know, had uh, had a lot to say and, you know, um, you know, definitely said said some things that, you know, could be viewed as somewhat controversial and uh, obviously became a beloved figure um, in American culture as well as uh, football history. Here's a, an interesting statistic about uh, Gail Sears. Up until Tyreek Hill in 2016, he was the last NFL player to score a touchdown rushing, receiving, and a kickoff return in the same game. It happened in 1965 on October 17th against the Minnesota Vikings. He only carried the ball 13 times for 64 yards. He only caught four passes for 63 yards. 
but he had a touchdown uh, bolt, and he had a 98-yard kickoff return. Um, and the Bears won that game 45-37. to 37. Uh, And the guy was, uh, he was just, you know, he was a man possessed that game. And then, of course, later on, uh, the Bears uh, on December 12th that year, uh, he scored six touchdowns. One, the last was on an 85-yard punt return, and he basically sat out the fourth quarter. He didn't play. He didn't run the ball at all. And the, the Hallis had taken him out of the game because he didn't want to get him injured after he had done that. So he, he put him in for one last punt return in the fourth quarter, and he runs it back 85 yards. Uh, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier that the, the, the opening game against uh, San Francisco, uh, they, they, the 49ers put up 52 points uh, against the Bears on opening day. And the Bears returned the favor by a 61 to 20 shellacking of the 49ers. Uh, It was just a just a sloppy field. I think it was the last game that they played at Wrigley Field that year, and it was probably a good thing because the place was just a quagmire after that game was over. But um, you know, he had 14 touchdowns rushing that year. He had six touchdowns receiving. And he scored both on a punt return and a kickoff return for his total of 22 touchdowns, which I believe is still a record for a rookie offensive player. Yeah, I mean, it always amazes me the the amount of different things these players in the 60s were asked to do, you know, in addition to having regular jobs in the offseason and uh, some of them and, um, you know, just, just nowhere near the kind of uh, – luxuries and support and you know training staffs and uh technology and things that that uh, these players have nowadays it's uh it's amazing um you know and you think maybe maybe uh nowadays uh injury like sayers had wouldn't have been so uh career ending uh, as it was back then yeah absolutely you know, it was amazing that, you know, in 65, he had his, his amazing rookie year. In 66, he led the NFL in rushing. It was his best uh, year as a pro rushing. He rushed for over 1,200 yards. In 67, uh, Brian Piccolo started sharing some of the load. He only ran the ball 880 yards, but he still had a 4.7 yards per carry. But he had a 37.7 yards per kickoff return. And I believe three of those uh, went for touchdowns that year. Uh, absolutely amazing. Then in 68, you know, he, had, he, was, he was running well. He had, a, he had a great year going. But then, of course, he had the, uh, the just absolutely horrific injury in, in November. Um, it was November 10th against the 49ers. And uh, as I had mentioned, he ran for 24 times for 205 yards the week prior against Green Bay. He came back in 69. He, he, he did rush for his second and only other time he ran the ball for over 1,000 yards with uh, 1,032. But his, his yards per carry was down. Uh, he, only, he only averaged 4.4 yards per carry that year and then in 1970 he said he suffered another injury 
this time it was bone bruises to his left knee. He tried to play through the injury, but he was very limited. And then in 1971, uh, he basically, he was done. He, he hurt his knee again in the preseason and he just never was the same. And, and uh, then he, about after the, the third game, um, he was, he, he left, he left the, he left the game and uh, he, re- he retired. So uh, if you haven't seen any uh, of, of Gail Sayers running, I urge you to go to YouTube and look up Gail Sayers and watch some of the plays that, uh, that the guy was just a magician. Uh, I believe uh, Brian Piccolo, uh, you know, he, you know, they had such a, a fun relationship. And, and uh, of course, Brian uh, kind of picked on him and, uh, a little bit and, and uh, referred to him as Black Magic and just magic for short. Uh, so it was, uh, it was just an amazing relationship. Uh, when, when Piccolo was in the hospital um, and Walt, or Walter, when Gail Sayers was getting his re- reward, uh, his award for Comeback Player of the Year, uh, he gave a very famous speech. Um, it it's basically said he was going to bring the, uh, uh, the award to Piccolo and give it to him in the hospital. And, and uh, he asked everybody in attendance to, to pray for Brian Piccolo and, uh, you know, Brian passed away from cancer and, uh, you know, we'll actually talk more about Brian next week because he's number 41 and the next guy on the list, as far as bears retired numbers are concerned. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of put a, a pause on talking about Piccolo, but needless to say, uh, the relationship that Sayers and Piccolo had was one for the ages and Gail Sayers, uh, was the youngest player ever elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, and as Aaron uh, so eloquently pointed out, uh, he was at the Bears' 100th anniversary, uh, which both he and I were in attendance. Uh, and the opening night when every single player that was around uh, came on stage, uh, he was in his wheelchair. Uh, he... Um, probably didn't know where he was, but, you know, he heard the cheers. He heard the cheers, and, and it was it was such an emotional time for me being a lifelong Bear fan and being able to have seen Gail Sayers play ball. Uh, it was the loudest cheer of the night for any member of that, of that team, past or present, and deservedly so. Uh, obviously, there were some players that couldn't be there, most specifically Walter Payton, who tragically passed away in 1999, so he couldn't be with us. Uh, and wouldn't it have been something? Wouldn't it have been something to see Payton and Sayers on that stage at the yeah. same time, Aaron? Well, yeah, and that was one of the things, too, where I was like, Erlacher couldn't get on the plane with a flu, but Sayers is out there in his damn wheelchair. I was like, come on, Brian. 
Like you could have, you could have gotten yourself out here for this, but it was what it was. I mean, it was a, it was a very emotional moment. Uh, something that you brought up last week, and something that's been brought up a few times on Twitter this week for whatever reason. I think it's because of the all-decade teams uh, being announced. Um, you know, uh, is why don't the Bears have some sort of ring of honor in Soldier Field? It seems like for that for this franchise like a no brainer and it doesn't seem like something that would cost a lot of money and they've got all these retired numbers. Like has any, have you ever, uh, as a season ticket holder, like written a letter and gotten an answer from anybody as to why they don't have that? Uh, I, I have not, uh, had the opportunity to write that letter. Um, I wrote one letter to the bears and that was right after Walter Payton died. Uh, and, uh, I've never told this story to anybody before, but I'm going to share it tonight. Um, the Bears wanted to uh, honor Walter Payton by repainting the zero on third on the 30-yard line, 34, and the league would not allow them to do that. And I wrote in. Uh, to to the Bears office and I said, you know, there's there's one thing that you can do um, and that would be to take your game clock, the 42nd, back then it was the 32nd game clock, and, and put it on the number 34 during the entire pregame. Um, and they've done that. They did it uh, soon after I wrote that letter. Now, obviously, I never got credit for it. The Bears never recognized me for sending in the suggestion. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I don't know if if the idea was taken from my letter. But I wrote that letter, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to stay claim to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? And, 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 and rightfully so. Um, you know, as of the 2019 NFL offseason, here's a couple of records uh, that Gail Sears still held as far as Bears franchise records are concerned. I won't go through all of them, but uh, his 5.0 rushing yards per attempt was uh, still a record. His most most rushing yards per attempt in a game, uh, I'm not going to go over that because I, I can't understand that one. Um, most rushing yards in a, t- in a season, 14 in 1965. Walter Payton did uh, scored 14 touchdowns twice in his career, most touchdowns, 14 as a rookie, most total touchdowns in a season, six, most touch, to, total touchdowns in a, in a game, which is six. I'm sorry, I said six. Most touchdowns in a season as a rookie was 22. Uh, most total touchdowns, obviously, as a rookie was six. Most all-purpose yards in a season. You would think that Walter Payton would hold that record. 2,440 yards in 1966 in a 14, 14 game season. Wow. Um, 339 all-purpose yards in one game. Um, most all-purpose yards as a rookie, 2272. Um, most yards per kickoff return in his career, uh, which is also an NFL record of. 30.56 uh, most yards per kickoff return in a season, which we talked about earlier in 1967 when he had 37.7 yards. Uh, most kickoff returns in his career, 
He still he still has the record over Devin Hester, six touchdowns uh, as a kickoff return. So you know, just amazing what this guy did in basically a five-year career. And I, for one, am so blessed uh, to have been watching this franchise. Uh, I can remember sitting in my basement in 1963 listening to the championship game when uh, the Bears beat the Giants 14 to 10. And throughout the 60s and most of the 70s, you couldn't watch home games. Home games were blocked out by the NFL. Uh, and then they came out with a sold out. If the games were sold out, you could televise them. But I don't think that started until the early 80s. I'd have to do some research, and we'll talk about that more next week. So that wraps up our history segment on Gail Sayers. If you guys have any questions or anything that you would like us to talk about, feel free to hit us up. Uh, you can hit us up either at uh, Aaron on, on Twitter uh, double A, uh, give me your, uh, give us your, your handle on sure. Twitter. A-A-R-O-N-T-O-R. A-A-R-O-N-T-O-R. The, the Aaronator. And Texter420 <laughs> is mine. Of course, you can always reach us at Halitech Hall on Twitter. You can also reach us at facebook.com slash Halitech Hall. Uh, we will get our podcast out here in the next couple of days. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, you can listen to it on Podbean. Uh, it also is uh, being rebroadcast on Sports Zone Chicago on Saturdays, and every single episode we have ever done is also on our Facebook page. So with that, what a great show. We'd like to thank our guest, Zach Pearson, for joining us, my co-host and producer, the one and only Double A. This is Michael Halitech. Uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks to everybody for listening, and everybody stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.